Pass Around the Smile is like your go-to friend, the one that lifts you up and backs you to the end. She's there to guide and inspire, challenge and teach, and remind you that your best self isn't out of reach. Self-development, manifestation, self-love and more, it's time to trust the process more than ever before. Welcome to Pass Around the Smile, the podcast. I'm your host, Cleo Massey, and I am so glad you're here. Let the magic begin. I'm so excited about our guest today, so right away, let me introduce you to Dr. Gina Cleo. Gina is one of those people who you just can't help but love. She's kind, she's funny, she's ridiculously smart and passionate. She works hard, yet she still maintains a beautifully balanced life, and I do think she resembles a real-life fairy angel queen, to be honest. But Gina has worked very hard to be where she is today. She originally graduated as a dietitian, and through the years that followed, Gina found that where she could help her clients lose weight and become healthier versions of themselves, it was a short-term fix. She found they were putting on the weight and sinking back into old habits within a few weeks to months afterwards. So with a burning desire to help people long-term, Gina began to study her PhD in habit change at Bond University. Gina has now become one of Australia's leading experts in habit change as she converts her evidence-based research into simple actionable strategies to help implement long-term positive change. And I can say this with confidence because I was lucky enough to see Gina in her element in a masterclass a few weeks ago. And not only was I blown away, but also left with a really clear understanding of which steps I needed to take with my own habits that need breaking. So I hope you are excited for an inspiring and thought-provoking episode with Dr. Gina Cleo. Hi, Gina. Hey. Welcome to the Pass Around the Smile podcast. This is so exciting. It is. Thanks for having me, Cleo. Oh, you are so welcome. So this is actually Dr. Cleo and Cleo coming together for a podcast. How amazing. You're the only Cleo I've ever met. You're the only Cleo with a last name that <laughs> I have met. And I, I feel like our connection kind of comes from stems from the Cleo. 100%. We are like kindred spirits. We really Just are. from the Cleo. Yeah. It's really brought us together. So for my (laughs) listeners, Gina and I met a few years ago at Bond University. I guess you could say we're somewhat colleagues. Uh, I do some acting work for the medical students. And as you heard in my intro, Gina is a woman of many, many talents. She does, you do, you do a lot. I do a lot. You do do a lot. I love variety. Yes. So do you you get bored easy? (laughs) No, no, it's funny. I'm it, one of those people who, well, actually, I do get bored easily, but I live a life where I'm never bored because I'm always doing so many different things. I love that. Well, yeah. so you maybe <laughs> you knew that you were kind of like a person that could get bored. So you filled your life up with literally yeah. studied dietitian, then stopped the clinic for a little bit to study your PhD on habits. Yeah, completely different field. And now you teach, yeah. you educate, you speak. What else? I, so I teach all about habits. I do corporate speaking all around like Australia and actually the world. Um, I run courses for everyday people as well as habit coaches. I write programs for organizations that are interested in changing like habits in their colleagues or their workplaces. I teach at Bond University, the medical students like about communication. So it's like totally different. (laughs) I do all sorts of things, but I since studying habits, 
about 10 years ago, I haven't shut up about it. It's totally my passion. And I can see that. I love I love watching people live their purpose and I feel lucky that I get to watch you do that. And yeah. I was lucky enough to go to a masterclass that you held at Bond Uni a few weeks ago now yeah. on habits, purely on habits. And I walked out having learnt so so much. And what I loved most about it was the way that you talk so like backed with science and research, but in a way that's so easy to, to digest. Oh, thank you. Oh, I bloody love it. So Aww. this is basically what we are here for today. <laughs> We're going to talk about habits yeah. and it's going to be just a very interesting conversation. So I'd love you to start with just giving us a little bit about habits and maybe the more common ones so people can kind of listen in and think, oh, I can relate to that. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, we are fully creatures of habits. About 70% of everything we do every day, everything we think and feel is completely habitual, which means we are in this autopilot state. So really common habits are things like scrolling too much on social media, um, binge drinking, eating when you're not hungry or snacking, like emotional eating, uh, staying up too late, even though you said you wouldn't do that, pressing snooze on your alarm when you said that you'd go out for that run. Those are really common habits, but it's also things like the way you react to certain things or how you set up your day. So I know that when I get into the office, first thing I do is check my emails. It's a habit that I do and it's triggered by me just walking into my office. I'm like, cool, check emails. Even if I'm just about to go to a teaching session or I'm you know, just about to do something else, I have a meeting, I will still check my emails and it's like this safety thing. It's like, mm. this is my habits, this is what I'm used to. So if you think of your day and what you normally do, it's everything from brushing your teeth in the morning yeah. to every sequence you have in the day is mostly habitual. Wow. And when you speak of the triggers, like you're saying you walk into your office, that is a trigger for you to then check your emails. Yeah. So you talked a lot about triggers your masterclass. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah. It kind of blew my mind. I didn't realize that there was a link. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, triggers are the thing that it's, it's really the thing that makes the biggest difference between what a behavior is and what a habit is. So if you think of a habit, every habit has three key ingredients and it's the trigger, the habit itself, and then a reward. And I'll go into that in a moment, but let's just move quickly to behaviors. So behaviors mm -hmm. are like conscious decisions. It's how do I get from A to B? It's what am I going to make for dinner tonight? It's what should I wear today? So it's these very deliberate, very conscious decisions that you kind of make in the moment. Habits, on the other hand, are reactions to triggers. And those mm. triggers can be in our external environment, like the place that you're in, the time of day, the social, like your social setting, or it can be internal. It can be your emotional state, your thought processes, like so it can be external or internal, but basically, as soon as your brain recognizes a habit trigger, it initiates a sequence, which is trigger equals habit. Right. And so for me, for example, walking into my office triggers me to turn on my emails. For other people, it might be waking up triggers you to check your phone or coming home triggers you to grab a snack in the afternoon. Oh, uh, yeah. So though that is how habits work. They're always triggered by something else. That's what makes them subconscious. Yeah, so it's it's the subconscious mind that is dictating what we do habitually. Exactly right. Yeah. Bloody hell, the subconscious <laughs> mind has so much control over us, hey. Oh, so powerful. <laughs> and so 
just now when you're speaking, I'm actually trying to relate this to me. I used to bite my nails as a kid all of, all of the time. Mm. I don't do it all of the time now. However, I do it when I'm writing. So is that the trigger? Right, exactly. So oh. writing for you is a trigger. It triggers your habit of biting your nails. And it's going to give you some kind of reward, Cleo. So it might, like, reduce your anxiety. It might fill in empty space. It might do something, but it's giving you something, which is why you do it at that time. Whoa, because of course in my mind now I'm like, how can biting my nails reward me because they look awful after, but you're right in when I'm biting them, I'm, I think actually thinking about it now, the reward might be concentration because when I'm biting my nails, I'm like really biting down and concentrating (laughs) on what I'm doing. And that, um, what did you say? The other trigger could be, um, it could be like uh, filling in space or yeah. time or like giving yeah. you something to do, keeping your hands occupied. Yeah. isn't that interesting? Yeah. But every single habit we have, even the ones we don't want, yeah. give us some kind of reward. So I was doing some reading about worrying the other day because uh-huh. a lot of people come to me with worrying and worrying is a habit as well, like the way we think. Whoa. So, okay. <laughs> hang on a minute. Cause I just, I guess I just thought that habits were the more obvious ones. Like you stated before, you mm. know, smoking or binge drinking, biting your nails, eating when you're not hungry. But so what habits can be like thoughts? And- totally. Belief systems, thoughts, biases. I mean, we know we've seen research that racism can be habitual. Wow. Okay. Talk, talk more. <laughs> just, just talk. I just want to listen to you talk. I love this. You're so cute. So basically, so let's take worrying. What happens with worrying oftentimes is that you have some sort of anxiety and your the anxiety will be the trigger. Worrying then becomes the habit because what worrying does is it gives us a false sense of security because we think if we're worrying, we're making a plan and a plan gives me control and control feels good. And if I've got control over something, then I don't have to be anxious about it anymore. Mm. And so we actually create the cycle of worrying in response to anxiety. And we think it's rewarding us by creating a plan, but it's not. It's keeping us in the cycle of negative thinking, keeping us in the cycle of further anxiety and then depression and not looking at the potential positive outcomes as well. So I was speaking to someone recently who said, I'm really worried that I didn't pack the kids enough lunch today at school. And I'm really worried that it might rain on our holiday, which is like in two months time. And I'm really worried about a potential natural disaster for this holiday home we bought. And I'm like, home girl, (laughs) what if the kids do have enough? And what if it doesn't rain? And what if there's no natural disaster? Or you know what? What if the kids don't have enough lunch? Like, they're going to come home and make up for that by eating more in the afternoon. Like, it's cool. Yeah. And you can change it tomorrow. But she didn't realize it was sort of really taking over her world, this worrying. And she thought it was giving her a reward, which is planning, but it wasn't. So that's what our habits do. That's why we have them, because our brain goes, there's a positive, there's like a positive cycle that happens that's why you re- you do the habits again and again because your yeah. brain's like, oh, that felt good or that makes me feel like I'm in control or whatever it might be. So your brain reinforces it. I could listen to you talk all day. <laughs> Seriously, this is so oh. interesting. Okay, this is so exciting. <laughs> uh, you know what that reminds me of, though, is that quote, worrying doesn't take away tomorrow's troubles, it takes away today's peace. Yes. And that's like exactly what you were just saying. Oh, exactly. It really does. That. But we get, I guess it's that thing too, where we hold on to that comfort zone of worrying or yeah. of fear because we think it's going to protect us, but it's not protecting us. It's actually holding us back or exactly. creating anxiety, creating the worry. Yeah. 
Exactly. Oh, wow. So to unpack that mm. and like say say you're not a warrior. So another example really quickly could be uh, like emotional eating. So you're feeling lonely or bored and yeah. so you grab a snack. And the thing is chewing and there are nutrients in food that do give us a dopamine hit that does mm. feel good. And so in the moment you're like, oh, I feel good. And your brain's like, I just got a hit of dopamine. This is awesome. So next time I'm feeling bored or lonely, I'm going to eat. Uh-huh. And it actually moves you towards doing that habit. But what it's also doing is probably not helping your health goals. No. You're non-hungry eating. So you're eating when your body doesn't need that food. And so then it, that creates negative outcomes as well. Yeah. So the way to unpack you know, either of these unwanted habits or any other unwanted habits is to actually bring in mindfulness, awareness, and kindness. Oh. Yeah, it's a very pass around the smile. <laughs> Amazing. So what it is is it's becoming completely aware, non-judgmentally, of what is it that you're getting from doing this behavior? Yeah. Because your your body, your brain is getting something out of it, mm. and it's your brain's almost like tricked you into thinking it's a good thing mm. because in some ways it is, but in many ways it's not. And so let's take worrying. So worrying makes you feel like you're in control, but does it actually change the outcome? Does it, how does it change your current state? Is it increasing or reducing your anxiety? Does it change your actions in the moment or later? Like all those things, probably not. And so when you get this list of pros and cons and you become aware of the negative impact that worrying is having on you, then what happens is your brain starts to realize there's actually less reward than you initially anticipated or thought Mm. and then it actually makes you less inclined to want to do that habit again Mm. and then that kindness part is really just about understanding that we we're all doing our best right yeah like we're all just doing the best we can with what we know whatever your survival mechanisms are it's okay like that's what your brain told you you needed to get through whatever it is that you're going through, mm-hmm. whether it's because you're busy or the kids are sick, whatever it might be, right? And so kindness is just being non-judgmentally aware of what's going on, bringing in the kindness and going, okay, thanks brain for telling me this is rewarding. Now I'm appreciating that it's probably not. And then it literally just subconsciously changes things in our brains. Wow. So it's really about actually identifying what it is that you are worrying about or what it is that your habits are and then just being kind to yourself and like this is this is normal this is okay it's normal to have habits it's natural and thank you for showing me what I actually need to change yeah so the important part is understanding what your triggers are yeah so say with worrying it's often anxiety yep the habit is worrying and then what are you getting out of it why are you actually doing this over and over again and it's understanding the rewards that's when you start to think, okay, there are positives in me doing this, but there's also a whole lot of mm. negatives. Mm. And the negatives are probably outweighing the positives. So this is not a habit I want to keep anymore. Yeah. And that's how your brain just changes its mind about it being a good idea. Yeah. And what about some of the other kind of um, habits that aren't the more common ones, like maybe reacting to people or certain situations in the same way over and over again you go home and you think why did I do that or yeah. why did I yell or why did I cry tell, tell us about that a little bit yeah so they're also common <laughs> our reactions are super common um and it's exactly the same thing so it's basically you've being triggered by something you reacting in the way that you're reacting and your brain 
having some sort of reward out of it. So if it's crying, it's an emotional release. If it's anger, then you get to feel rage and that feels good sometimes. Mm. Although there are negatives as well, Mm. in the moment it feels good. And so your brain reinforces it. But doing the same thing, bringing that awareness and that kindness is exactly how you unpack those habits and break them away. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that so much. And can we talk a little bit maybe about the misconceptions that people hold around habits? Because I know I walked into your masterclass and I was so excited and knew I was going to learn so much from you. But the one thing that I really thought I knew was that habits take 21, 30 days to form. I was like, I know this. Oh my God. And then as soon as I got in, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I don't. (laughs) I'm so glad you asked me this. It's literally like a hobby to break this myth. (laughs) So there was, okay, I'm going to backtrack to tell you where this came from, but this is the most common myth is that it takes 21 days to change a habit. Okay. If I could stand on a world podium and say one thing, (laughs) only one, it would be this. It would be, it does not take 21 days to change a habit. (laughs) So in the 1960s, there was a surgeon who uh, was doing like facial surgery and amputations on people. Right. And he determined that it took about three weeks or 21 days for people to get used to their different features, that their face started was looking different or that they didn't have their arm anymore, for example. So then he was like, okay, so it takes three weeks for neuroplasticity to take place or changes in the brain to take place. Therefore, it must take three weeks to change a habit. But it has been scientifically debunked at least a million times. <laughs> Yet this myth has continued through the generations. It has, hasn't it? Big time. Yeah. And I hear it in motivational talks. I hear it in like inspirational quotes. I hear it every time I hear a personal trainer in the gym. (laughs) And it's not true. So what it does, how how habits work is there's a really wide range with how long it takes to change a habit. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, let's be straight here. If it honestly took 21 days to change a habit, we would all be like perfect habitual creatures. We would, yeah. Right? Yeah, 100%. We would all like meditate every day and have gratitude journals and we'd exercise and have great sleep habits and like eat really well. It doesn't take 21 days, if only. I know. (laughs) If only. I I know. I don't like being the bearer of the No, news. but it's good. It's good. It's, it's good, good to know. Because you. you gotta work hard. Totally. Yeah. Initially. Okay. Initially. So it can take anywhere from three weeks to up to a year mm-hmm. to change a habit. And the average time is about sixty-six days. Okay. So I like to work with about ten weeks. Yep. And when you've got that realistic mindset in place, you can aim better with, you know, it's not not like you're going to get after three weeks and be like, it still doesn't feel habitual and then give up. It's like, no, no, I've still got another seven weeks to go. Yes. Okay. And so it can be more realistic. So there are certain things that can change how long it takes to change a habit. Firstly, how habitual you are as a person. Are you the kind of person who loves a Sunday routine or gets like doesn't like ambiguity are you the kind of person who eats the same breakfast every day like are you a habitual person Mm -hmm. or not is it going to come naturally to you exactly also how complex the behavior is that you're trying to change is going to have a big impact as to how long the habit takes to develop so there's some research that showed uh, compared people that were asked to just drink a glass of water with breakfast compared to doing 50 push-ups in the morning. Right. <laughs> and the people who were asked to just drink a glass of water, it took them about three weeks to develop that. But the people that had to do the push-ups took them about a year 
to develop. Because okay. when you think of an actual habit, remember it's triggered, it feels subconscious, it's natural, it would feel odd if you didn't do it. Yeah. It's automatic, it's mindless. So to actually get to that state with a habit takes a long time if it's a really complex behavior. Yeah. So you want to break down your goals into just digestible, easy to do things. Right. That you can, you know, do every day without it being too much of a slog. Uh-huh. And so that will help you develop the habit quicker. Okay. Well, how do we know then a goal to change a habit that might be too easy or Mm. then on the other end, maybe too overwhelming? Like how do we make that decision? Yeah. So I guess get your goal and it could be like a big goal. Yeah. And then say you're breaking it down, right? Mm. If it's too easy, you're probably going to feel somewhat apathetic. You're going to be like, oh, I can just do this tomorrow or, you know what, I can achieve this whole goal overnight and you might procrastinate on doing it. Right. But then if it's too big, we get overwhelmed and overwhelm creates paralysis and then we don't want to do it because we're too scared to start or we're too scared to like go out and actually attempt it in the first place. Yeah. And so if you're getting that feeling, then your goal's probably too big. I say that you want to find the sweet spot of comfort And it's where your goals aren't too big and they're not too small. Yeah. And so it takes playing around, you know, it Mm. takes just like the, one of the really good ways to measure it is using something called a habit tracker. Oh, okay. And we can put a link to this in the show notes if you want, but a habit tracker is essentially just every time you do a habit, you tick off that you've done it. And so a good way to measure, I guess, the, how big or small your goals are, if you're actually doing them is have a look back over the last week or two weeks. How often have you been doing your habit? Has it been consistent? If it hasn't, then it probably needs, the goal needs to change a little bit. Okay. But if it has, you're spot on with how big or small your goal is. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I like that because I feel like if we're, you know, trying to change a habit and we're not doing it or we're not achieving it, we just think, oh, you know, I can't do it. It's it's yeah. not right. But Actually, if you just change some minuscule little things, yeah. it could all align. Completely. <sighs> I think we think, oh, I'm such a failure. Yeah. I haven't done it again. I said I would and I, and I didn't. Like, I just can't amount to this or I don't have what it takes. And then we get really, like, down on ourselves. Yeah. But it could actually be that the goal's not right for you or mm. that you don't have the resources or capacity to do that particular goal at that point in time. And that's okay. Just change the goalposts, make it work for you. The kindness is coming in. Be kind to yourself. Treat yourself like you would a friend, I guess, right? Because if you had a friend that was trying to, I don't know, quit smoking, for example, you're going to encourage them and, you know, say beautiful, kind, supportive words to them. But if you're doing it yourself, why why is it all of a sudden okay to talk so down to ourselves? So true. I love the, um, there's, you may have heard of it through like plants or water, but when they get like two buckets of water and they say to one bucket of water, you know, I love you, you're amazing, you're good enough, you're capable, and they freeze it. And then to the other bucket of water, they say, you suck, you're not good enough, you can't do this, you can't can't change this habit. And they freeze it, and then they look under a microscope, and every single time the bucket of water that had the positive projections placed on it is frozen in this intricate diamond-like pattern. So amazing. And then the negative bucket of water is frozen in this smashed, cracked pattern and we're filled with 70% wow. water. Yeah. So, like, what yeah. what are we doing to ourselves when we're saying, I'm not good enough, I can't do this? Yeah. I look crap today. That's like, so true. Yeah. And, you know, self-efficacy or the belief in oneself is the number one predictor of success. 
And I love, Dina, that you say this because you're <laughs> you're a doctor. You're Dr. Cleo and the amount of research and study that you have done mm. is so huge. And also your research has gained like a lot of popularity on media and with, from different researchers, hasn't it? Like yeah. all over the world. Yeah. But you're sitting here saying that belief in yourself is vital. It's the number one predictor of success. Dr. Cleo said it here, guys. <laughs> she quote, said it here. Quote. quote. We should put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> we should. We should. We should get a tattoo of it. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk more about belief and yeah. belief in oneself. Basically, if you set a goal for yourself or you have a desire and mm. you don't inherently believe that you have the ability to achieve that, you're not going to. And, and it sounds so fine. It sounds so like, like clinical or it sounds very like, oh, are you sure? But it is. I mean, research shows again and again that you have to believe in your own ability to achieve something in order for you to even come remotely close to achieving it. And that's the beauty of, you know, changing the goalposts and not mm. having this all or nothing mentality. Like mm. One of my least favorite quotes in the world is like, go hard or go home. It's like, no, because going hard might mean for somebody that the goal's too big or it's not yes. achievable. Or what if you're just a bit tired today? Like you're better off still doing like a 15 minute walk than the run that you'd planned. It's yes. Like make, make your habits like micro habits. They're so small. You can't say no to them. You know that you have the capacity to do them yeah. and get that momentum and consistency going. And that's how big changes are made through small steps. Yes. And on what you said too, I think that go hard and go home. I agree. I don't like that. Mm. Everyone's go hard is different. Like, yeah. you know, when um, I was in a conversation with a bunch of people and everyone was kind of getting to this, it was getting a bit confrontational about who works harder than who. Ew. And I was, yeah, it was yuck. It was like some people that I hardly know. I don't even know how we got into the conversation, but I was trying to say everyone's hardest work is different. Yeah, so like, true. you might work seven days a week and that's really hard, but someone yeah. else might work three days a week and that's really hard for them. Oh, yeah. I love that you have this insight. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. You know my personal story. About two years ago, I went through a really traumatic experience. Mm. And just before that happened, I was running two companies. I was working as the head of student well-being at Bond Uni in the medical program. You know, I was like powwowing my life away, right? Powwow girl. Yeah. <laughs> and then this traumatic event occurred and... For me to tell you that I could just get up and brush my teeth, I I couldn't do that on mm. a consistent basis. I couldn't even, like, get out and go to my letterbox. But it was literally the fear of leaving my home. And to me, going hard was like, girlfriend, you're going to go and get the, get the mail from the letterbox mm. today. And that was, to me, like, the most that I could do on some days. And how amazing that you did that that day. Yeah, exactly. And, and that taking that it. small step and thinking that this is enough for me today yeah. allowed you to take more small steps and exactly. look at you now. Yeah, so that's, back to that's powwow. Very, yeah, back to powwow. <laughs> that is very inspirational. Thank Aww, you for sharing that. Thank you. And don't you think that there was a little stage, I feel like it may have been just before COVID hit, where girl boss and hustle was very trendy. Oh, yeah. And being so productive and we compare ourselves constantly to these girls on social, well, not just girls, girls and guys, anyone mm. on social media that are constantly moving forward. But I think 
I don't know if it was COVID that taught us or if times have just changed, but it's good to slow down oh, and yeah. you can benefit so much from actually stopping. Yeah. Like I've noticed if I, <laughs> I obviously work for myself and if I get to two o'clock, instead of pushing forward at 50%, if I just take yeah. 20 minutes of just sitting and staring or going and playing with the dog or even <laughs> having a cheeky nap, I know that not everyone can do that. Yeah. I'm lucky to work from home. <laughs> I then can move forward at 100%. Yeah. But there's just a lot of energy around this, like, yeah, girl boss, go, be the best you can, and nothing else. It's so true. And and I always like to think it's quality over quantity. If you want to stop your day at 2, girl, stop your day mm. at 2 p.m. Like, no one's there going, no, you have to work an eight-hour day if you don't have to. Yes. But I always think... Whatever goal you want to achieve, there's going to be some sort of cost or sacrifice for it. And if you want to be girl boss, like, that's fine. Like, you do you. But what does that cost you? Mm. Does it cost you sleep? Does it cost you peace? Does it cost you your relationships? Does it cost your health? Like, what are the sacrifices you're making to achieve that? And are they worth it? For some people, they will be. But for most people, they probably won't be. And I think that's that's where that awareness comes in again. Yes. And not comparing ourselves to anyone, but thinking, what do I value? How do I want my life to look? Yeah. And and I have to say, yeah, I think COVID really changed the way that we saw things. I think mm. a lot of people left the corporate world and started working more for themselves and yeah. doing different jobs or working part time. You know, and if and if you have had the privilege to do that, that's awesome yeah and I definitely went through a stage where I was like okay I can actually earn less work less and be way happier so let's just do that and I did and it's been the best do less attract more that's what Gabby Bernstein says and I love it and that's what you're doing yeah it's true there's this I guess negative connotation around you have to work hard to get to where you want to be and of course Of course, there is an element of working hard. You Mm. need to be working toward what you want. You need to be putting in the effort and the time and the love and the energy. But in saying that, like you said, there are more important things like family and friends or whatever it is to you. So, yeah, it's nice that that kind of pressure is slowly melting away. And I think the world is getting a little bit more understanding. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, Which is great. It's great news. So with all of this new information I have, can you daily routines are they habits like I guess they're habitual absolutely okay from the minute you wake up you are acting out your habits think of even just your morning routine you get up you might brush your teeth go to the bathroom shower get dressed make a coffee have breakfast like it's all a sequence of events and they're actually one habit that's feeding off another so that's just we see it as morning routine but it's actually all these little habits that are just happening in a sequence. Yeah. But also the way that how many hours we spend working versus how many hours we spend on leisure time is a habit. It's our mentality around how much we should be working is habitual. Our men- whether you come home and you exercise or you have a glass of wine is going to be mostly habitual. Wow. So our days are very, very sequentially and like habitual. Yeah. And I guess those, like, for example, you say, you know, you come home from work, you've had a stressful day and you might pour yourself a glass of wine. You might really enjoy that habit. So that's, I guess, essentially, of course, why it's so hard to break because we enjoy our habits most, most of the time. Is there a habit that you have had that you've successfully broken? Yeah. Oh, break it down for us. Many, many, (laughs) many. I have... 
I made a decision that I, you know, I really value sleep. I'm like the biggest sleep guru. And for me, I realized that for me to get better sleep, I had to make some sacrifices uh-huh. and that included screen time before oh, bed. Big one. <laughs> yeah. But it also inc- included me not being overly stimulated throughout the day. And what I mean by that is not being on social media too much or not watching episode after episode of something on yeah. Netflix, say. Because that kept my mind so engaged and activated that I would go to bed and I just wouldn't be fully rested. And that, yeah. that's like a me thing. So I don't look at my phone pretty much all afternoon. <laughs> that's so amazing. That's yeah. really amazing. Oh, thank you. And I also don't look at my phone the first hour that I wake up. So okay. what I do is I keep my phone on airplane mode overnight and I have it charging in a different room to my room. Oh. Yeah, it's charging in the bathroom. So basically if my alarm goes off, then I have to get out of bed to go turn it off and it's still on airplane mode and I won't turn it off airplane mode for the first hour of my day. And it has been one of the best things I've ever done. Wow. So there there are so many little habits I feel in this <laughs> that people would normally have that you've broken mm. by having your phone in another room for a start because then you yeah. actually have to get up when your alarm goes off. Yeah. But also having your phone in a different room so you can't touch it and go on it before you go to sleep There's or no scroll. Temptation. Yeah. Whoa. So are there any other elements in how you broke this habit, say, during the day when you're at work? Well, I I can check social media while I'm at work. I'm okay with doing that. But it's funny because I haven't used social media as much as I used to for so long now. I don't even enjoy it. That's great. Yeah. And and it's, I mean, on one hand, it's really good because I'm just not sucked into it anymore because I'm a bit bored by it now. But on the other hand, you know, being a researcher, it's really important for me to still put my research out into the social media space because that's how people consume it and so you'll find like if you follow me I literally will post every now and then I'm not that good at posting all the time but I'm okay with that and if that means I have less followers or I get less work that's okay because the sacrifice that I would have to make to be on it every day isn't worth my sense of peace wow (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, you've just put things into perspective for me. I mean, do you, though, have any advice for me and for the other maybe small business owners where we predominantly our work is on social media? So we are having to be on it all the time. For example, last night I got a DM from a customer who was wanting to place a really big order and I felt like if I didn't reply in that minute, she probably wouldn't have placed the order. Yeah. So any... It's hard, isn't it? It's so hard. (laughs) I mean, you can then look at the social media as your work, but then change the way that you are using it. So Mm -hmm. are you more of an output person or an input person? Are Mm. you scrolling mindlessly Mm. or are you putting content out there and then responding to your followers? Because if you're doing the latter, that's perfectly fine. It's just like being on emails. But if you're getting sucked into the scrolling through aimlessly and mindlessly for hours, then that's what I think you should just like rethink your values and if that aligns with it. One of the other things that I did that really helped me with this is I had a look at how much screen time impacts sleep, like objectively, Mm. because, you know, I'm, I like facts and figures and data. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And just the idea of social, you know, reducing social media is going to improve your sleep wasn't enough. I needed to like quantify how much. (laughs) Of course you did. Of course I did. Dr. (laughs) Cleo. 
But when I had those facts, it put everything into perspective. And I was like, whoa, it is so not worth it. Like nothing is worth the impact it will have on my sleep. It's the same with like drinking alcohol. I mean, I love a glass of wine, but I know that alcohol can impact your REM sleep. Therefore, it impacts how much rest that your body's really getting. Is that REM sleep? Yeah, REM the, sleep. The deep. Yeah, the deep, right. like deep restorative sleep. And so I put this to the test. I actually bought a Fitbit because, oh. you know, there's all this research, but I had to test it myself. Yeah, of course. As <laughs> <laughs> so I'm some kind of elite human that would, like, bypass the alcohol, like, rules. Yeah, and then you get a spreadsheet <laughs> off. <and> yeah, you... <laughs> literally, that's what I did. I got a spreadsheet. <laughs> but I had, like, the nights where I was drinking – I would have a look at my REM sleep and then the nights where I, where I wasn't, I'd do the same. And it makes such a significant difference. And also wow. on something called heart rate variability, which is one of the the most uh, popular, I guess, markers for long-term health. Mm-hmm. And I see that if you go a month without drinking, your heart rate variability increases fivefold. That's huge. And so although I'll still have a drink occasionally or like socially, I won't have the glass of wine most evenings like I used to because I've made a judgment call that it's just not worth it for me. I I love how you're talking about this in that there are more important things. And it does just really put things into perspective and I think – I kind of look at that when I do my four-week courses, we look at that through like a balance exercise where I'm trying to encourage my community to say no to things without the attached feeling of guilt. And I feel like the only way that you can do that is to realize where you want your energy spent. So if it is, I need to be spending more time, more present time with my family, or I need to spend more time Mm. sleeping, getting a good night's sleep. Well, it means that I can say no to going to that party on Friday night and I don't have to feel guilty. So yeah, what is it worth it? Oh, exactly. I love that. And then what are you really seeking in the moment? So say you are aimlessly scrolling through social media Mm. and you don't want to be doing it. I would stop and go, okay, what is triggering me? Where am I? It could be the the place you're in, the time of day, how you're feeling. And then you can say, for example, for a lot of people, it could be a desire for connection. Yeah. Is social media actually giving you connection? Are you actually getting that feeling from it? Because the evidence shows that it's actually doing the opposite of that. It's Mm. making you feel more disconnected. Mm -hmm. And so if you're seeking connection in that moment, how can you actually get it? Mm. And that might be to text a friend or call a friend or play with your pet or whatever it might be. And you'll find that sense of fulfillment, which is what you're looking for, will actually be there rather than like hours Mm. spent trying to find it on your Instagram feed when it's not going to be there. That is so true. So essentially you're saying that when we do have that moment of it's kind of like when we're not stimulated for five seconds, Mm. we open our phone, even if there is a good TV show playing and I'm guilty of it, opening my phone, distracting yourself really with something that you know will make you feel good. Yeah. I think we are so, we've become so used to being this overstimulated, doing more than one thing at once. Mm. It's really bad for our brains, actually. And so one of, and this is one of the reasons why I broke my habit of using social media the way that I was using is because I noticed that I was constantly needing stimulation. The more stimulated I was being, the more I needed it. 
And when I stopped social media for a while, oh my gosh, here's like a confession. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I started playing time. things like Tetris. Oh my God. And like all these like fun games on my phone. But I was like, oh, look at me. So hi, Marty. I don't really use social media very much. Next minute, I'm playing Tetris like seven hours a day. <laughs> You like go totally the other way. Literally, Next minute yeah. you have a spreadsheet on how do I stop Tetris? How do I stop Tetris? <laughs> how do I stop this habit? <laughs> but it's essentially like gaming is still stimulation. And so, yeah. you know, when I became real with myself, I realized I was doing the same thing. Yeah, interesting. And so calm down. It's like, say you're going to the bathroom, right? A lot of people use their phone when they're on the, the toilet, which yes. is PS, extremely unhygienic. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. Here's like being super open. Great. This Cleo, is what this feel free is to about. like literally cut this out if you're not down <laughs> with it. It's fine. I will now go into the bathroom and be like, "All right, this is a really great moment to just practice mindfulness." No, I actually do the same. Amazing. I do the same. Toilet yeah. buddies. We're, we're fist bumping, guys. <laughs> <laughs> or when I'm in the shower, I would often be like, "All right, what am I going to wear? What am I doing today? What time do I?" Be? And it's like, no, my shower is now a time for me to practice mindfulness. Yeah. I'm going to notice the water on my body and mm. just slow your mind down. The magic in it is when your mind is slowed down, that's when your learning centers in your brain are the most activated. Yeah, I, I feel that because mm. I feel when I finally quiet my mind and actually do nothing, that's when I get creative inspiration. Love it. Yeah. Exactly. So it actually, it helps our productivity so 100%. much. And it's just literally, it's just become a habit. Overstimulation has become a habit yeah. and you can unwind it by doing all the things we spoke about bring in mindfulness and awareness and kindness, remove the temptation out of your space. Like if having your phone on you is too much of a temptation, which it is for most people because it's such an easy hit of dopamine and stimulation, put it away, Mm. lock it down. There are literally like boxes you can buy that lock your phone for a certain period of time. You cannot undo it unless you smash them. That's really getting rid of that trigger. Totally. (laughs) But for me and most people, out of sight, out of mind. If it's not on your pocket or in your bag, it's very unlikely that you're going to get up, walk to the other side of the house, open the drawer, grab your phone, just to quickly look at social media. Like you're not going to do that. So just get, get it out of your space. Oh, wow. Okay, I have one last question before we get to our cards. And I learned this from your masterclass, which was around self-control and the energy it takes. I was quite mind blown. So can you talk a little (laughs) bit about that? Oftentimes when we're starting a new behavior or making some kind of change, it's going to require some self-control. Now, the beauty of habits is that habits don't need self-control. Like you don't need self-control to tie your shoelace or put your seatbelt on in the car or brush your teeth in the morning. They're things that just happen because they're part of your normal routine. Mm. They're habitual. They're mindless. They're subconscious. Mm. But the things that you need self-control for are those things that you might do occasionally or the things that aren't yet automatic or habitual in your life. Okay. And the thing with self-control is the bigger the thing that you're trying to change, the more self-control you're going to need. So let's say you're, I don't know, starting a crash diet. Don't do that, people. It's a terrible idea. But say you are doing a crash diet or you're doing like a really intense like fitness program at the gym or something. You're going to need a lot of self-control to like do those things every day. Right. The thing with self-control is that it is a fleeting resource. It is not something that we have this like unlimited amount of every day, if only. Again, Mm. if we did, we would be these like perfect beings that did all the things we said we would do. Yeah. But if you think of self-control like a bank account and life stresses, so things like 
like hunger, feeling negative emotions, like stress or anxiety, or like having an altercation with someone or loneliness, whatever it might be. Um, what else? Piles of emails or traffic or screaming kids or financial stress, like whatever it might be, all these things deplete our sense of self-control. And the way to restore it is actually by resting it. It's by feeling positive emotions. It's by doing things that you know that you can achieve, like just small little actions. And so what, what happens if you think of it like a bank account is life's demands are like debiting your bank account your Mm. self-control bank account little by little and then that rest is recrediting it again so when you go to sleep at night and you wake up in the morning so you've had a good rest you'll probably have some more self-control the next day but we can't depend on our self-control long term to change our behaviors because we don't have unlimited amounts of it it also changes from day to day so say like something happens in your life that's stressful you're going to probably have less capacity during that time compared to another time in your life. So does that mean, say, if you wake up and something quite negative happens and I guess does that mean your self-control is kind of you're using it up and let's say you are on a crash diet, Mm. which again Gina said not to do and she's a (laughs) dietitian. Uh, When you get to the end of the day and you're supposed to have an apple, not the hamburger or whatever, it's likely that you'll have the hamburger because your self-control has been used. Exactly. Wow. And then we blame ourselves and think we're failures, but we're not. We're just trying to use a resource that we don't have enough of. Yeah. And so the idea is really just the importance is then to create a life around healthy habits because Mm -hmm. if you can create habits of things and you don't need your self-control and you can't have a crash diet habit because it's not sustainable. Yeah. So come back to, come home to yourself and think of things like, how can I achieve this goal in small, easy, sustainable steps that I can mm. do consistently every day? So refreshing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get on to the last section. Okay. So we have got to the last segment of this podcast. I have enjoyed this so much, oh, by the way. So much Thank fun. you so much. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I am going to shuffle my cards and pull out a card and just trust that that card is what we need to talk about, whether the listeners need to hear it or whether it's for you or for me, there will be a reason. Okay. okay. So we got the card one step at a time. Taking one step at a time is more than enough. I am moving forward at the perfect pace and enjoying every minute. Oh, I love this Do you want to talk about this topic for a little bit? I would love to. Yes. Habits or actually achieving anything doesn't happen in a linear process. And what I mean by that is you're not going to get up every day and practice this new habit that you have planned. Mm. Or if you're trying to break a habit, there are going to be times where you still do your unwanted habit, even though you don't want to and you planned not to. Yeah. Habit formation or change happens in a process of two steps forward, one step back. Oh, having those. I like, see how set, this relates. I was yeah, like, where, steps, where are we? Yes. <laughs> you know, setbacks are a normal part of life. They don't make you a failure. They make you human. And the difference between people that succeed and people that fall off the wagon is how quickly you get up and, um, basically that how quickly you get up again and just taking that step forward again rather than being defeated by your setback just take that small step forward and okay I'll give you an example I was quite on I had the flu like 
four years ago, pre-COVID mm. people. Yeah. <laughs> and I just started powerlifting at this gym. I don't know why. My body's not made for powerlifting, but <laughs> look, we went there just for a fun time. <laughs> and I was trying to create a habit of going to training at least three days a week. And powerlifting is pretty heavy sport, like yeah. heavy literally and metaphorically. Yeah. <laughs> and that it's quite a lot on your body. Mm. And because I was sick, I didn't want to be lifting at the time, so I wanted my body to rest. Mm. But because I wanted to keep the habit of going to the gym, what I would do is I'd still get up, I would get dressed, I'd get in my car, I'd drive to the gym, and I'd be like, okay, I'm here, and then I would drive straight wow. back home. Because I wanted to create a habit of getting to the gym. Yeah. And so when I felt better, I was already in the habit of going to the gym. I didn't have to take all those steps to get there still. That is very powerful. And I guess that is benefiting you in other ways as well, not just keeping and achieving that habit of going to the gym, but also getting up at a good time. Yeah eating probably a healthy breakfast because you know you've got to get out of the house soon and that you're going to, well, you weren't going to be exercising, but <laughs> yeah. in your mind you still were. That's really powerful. Yeah. So just do whatever step you can to get you into the direction that you're aiming for. No and matter how enough. small that step is, that is yeah. completely enough. It is all about just changing the neural pathways in your brain to move you towards your goal. The it's all about consistency, not intensity. It's yeah. not about how big your step is. It's just about taking a step in the right direction. And the accumulative effect of that is what's going to help you reach your goals. <gasps> oh, wow. <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Gina. This has Aww. honestly been so fun and so incredible. You are so insightful Aww. and so beautiful inside and out. Thank you Thank for coming you. on. And can you please tell my listeners and my community where they can find you and maybe a little bit about your courses that you do as well? Uh, thank you. Of course. It's been so awesome being here, by the way. So you can find me. My website is drginacleo.com. It's the same as my Instagram handle, drginacleo. I run two different courses at the moment. So one course is for everyday people who are just interested in understanding their own habits and how to form new habits and break old habits. Mm. It's really comprehensive. We talk about all things self-control, how they, how that doesn't work, why we do the things that we do and how to really change it long term. The other course that I run is called the Habit Practitioner course, and that's for coaches and educators or healthcare professionals who are interested in being habit coaches to help their clients. Oh. And that is like the most comprehensive course on the market. It's it, We go through all things neuroscience and like psychology and physiology and all sorts of things, but it's really fun. You don't need any prior education to do that course, but it is a lot more comprehensive. I've also got a book that's coming out in oh my God. January 2024. Um, that is, that's actually coming around yeah, fast because I feel is. like when you told me about it, that yeah. was a long time ago and it felt so long, but now it's, it's, oh, it's coming yeah. around. My manuscript is due any minute now. Oh, I cannot wait. And really, that is a lot of the content that I know that I've put into this book so that people can read it and just understand themselves and be able to change their behavior and their mindsets from what they'll get from this book. So look out for that because it's really like my love and joy has gone into that book. You are living your purpose. Oh, Everything's thank you. just so flowing. you, girlfriend. Oh, look at us living our purposes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, thank you so much again, Gina. Thank and you. I think that we need to do a part two at some stage as well. That sounds fun. Count me in. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye, guys. <laughs>